I'm excited to see what the Holy Spirit has for us today. I'm so glad that you all are here. Um, before we get started, uh, kids, if you look in your basket, there is an ornament there. Um, the, the intent is for you to decorate that during the service today. And then after we get done with the message and, and the last song, um, it's Bethany is holding it up right there. Um, when we're done with the service, we'll bring that outside to the back and you can cut those out and glue them together. And then we have a tree out there that those ornaments can go on. So, um, feel free to, to work on that as we, as we go through this morning. Um, David, thank you for sharing this morning, uh, about Leah. We certainly will be praying for her this week. Um, it's a little scary when your heart just all of a sudden isn't doing the way it's supposed to, um, to kind of catch us up on where we've left off. Um, I, I want to, to remind us, kind of bring us back where we, where we left off last week. Last week we looked at Hebrews chapter 10, verses 26 through 31. And in that we see a really harsh warning. Uh, when you first read that, it can cause some confusion. But what we looked at as we studied that passage last week, that what the author of Hebrews is trying to help the church understand, remember they're being persecuted. These are people who grew up in the Jewish faith, who had come to believe that Jesus was the promised Messiah and put their trust in him instead of simply in the law or their past traditions. And as a result of choosing to trust Jesus, they're being persecuted. They're being, uh, they, they lost their jobs, they lost their families, um, and, and they are struggling. And so the temptation was is to deny Jesus and to go back to what was comfortable, to what they had previously been enjoying the family life, the, the jobs, the security that came with that. And so we see this, this struggle happening in their lives. Do I continue to believe that Jesus is who he said he was and that these people have said that he was? Or do I go back to what the people that I love and that I trust are also telling me and choose to believe in him? And the author of Hebrews lays out the consequences of them abandoning the forgiveness that comes through trust in Jesus. That it's only through Jesus that we are able to be made right with God. That when a person hears the truth of the gospel and they understand that Jesus is God's plan for their redemption and then chooses to refuse that forgiveness, that there is nothing left for them. We talked about last week that the beauty of something being the way, because Jesus says, I am the way to the Father. The beauty of something being the way is that it is the only way. You don't have to question and so what the author of Hebrews is trying to remind the people that is that God's plan for their redemption ultimately was Jesus. And if they deny Jesus, if they deny that forgiveness, that there's nothing left for them. It doesn't mean that they cannot be reconciled. It does not mean that God could never forgive them after that. It's just simply the reminder that Jesus is God's plan. That's what he has for us. If we try to gain God's forgiveness or approval by any other means... It will be fruitless. Without the grace that's afforded to us by Jesus, all we can experience is God's judgment and His wrath. It's, but, it's because God loves us that He gave us a way to escape our own rebellion. A way to be made right with Him. A way to experience His love and His forgiveness. His desire, the reason that we were created, was to be in a relationship with Him. A loving, peaceful relationship. And he's done all that's necessary to redeem us from our rebellion, to redeem us from the sin that we are born into. His work is our reason for hope. And it's his goal that that hope would be transformed not into just an idea of something that might be, but faith, something that we can trust in to tell us that we have hope, that we have a truth, something that's deeper 
than we've formally understood. And next week as we dive into chapter 11, we're going to talk a lot about faith. That's the famous chapter in Hebrews uh, that talks about in faith. And then we hear all these stories of these faithful men and women of the Bible who've chosen to trust God. But before we get into that, the author wants to encourage the churches. And that's what we're going to focus on today. He's just given them this, this harsh warning. But in the same moment of warning, he also reminds them of what they've already accomplished in their faith with Jesus. Read with me this morning the encouragement that he gives the church, and let us also be encouraged this morning by this word. So read with me Hebrews chapter 10, verses 32 through 39. He says, remember the earlier days when, after you had been enlightened, you had endured a hard struggle with suffering. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to the taunts and afflictions, and at other times you were companions of those who were treated that way. For you sympathized with the prisoners and accepted with joy the confiscation of your possessions because you know that you yourselves have a better and enduring possession. So don't throw away your confidence, which is a great reward. For you need endurance so that after you have done God's will, you may receive what was promised. For yet in a very little while, the coming one will come and not delay. But my righteous one will live by faith. And if he draws back, I have no pleasure in him. But we are not those who draw back and are destroyed, but those who have faith and are saved. You know, I think there there are times in all of our lives where we need to be reminded of who we are. You know, I was sharing with the band this morning that that I was really stressed out, not just today, but this whole week. It's been a very, very busy week. I've had a lot going on. And, and I'm a bit of a perfectionist when it comes to certain aspects of my life. And when things don't go exactly the way I intended for them to go, I've turned into a monster. We'll just put it that way. All too often, we get burdened down with the difficulties in life. And we allow those things to become who we are. We allow those things to become our identity. And rather than finding our identity in who God says we are, we find it in the struggles that we're facing. We allow those struggles to become what defines us. And this certainly appears to be the case of the Hebrews, the people that this letter is written to. According to the testimony of the author, uh, when they first heard of Jesus and placed their faith in him, There was not only excitement, but a desire to serve Jesus and to serve one another at all cost. But now it seems that cost has become too great for them. I'm sure that you've been there as well when you thought that the challenge that you were facing was too great or the price was too high. In one of my commentaries this week, Dr. George Guthrie says, We are a people in tension, needing to move on in a world that wants to hold us back. Dr. Guthrie is referring to this warning that we heard last week and the reality of where we find ourselves today and the hope that we hold for the future. We know that where we are is not where we ought to be or not where we want to be, and we want to move forward. But so often we feel held back by the world. Dr. Guthrie is identifying the struggle that we all face, the desire to move forward, but feeling stuck in our current situation. So point number one I want to make today is that we want forward motion, but we struggle with feeling stuck. This is why the author of Hebrews holds up a mirror for them of their own lives so that they can see for themselves what happens when we trust God instead of trusting ourselves. He wants them to not just recall, to, but to remember in their innermost being, to, to feel those feelings that they first felt when they trusted in Jesus the love, the joy, and the hope that they found in this relationship with Christ. 
Listen, we've, we've all been where they are in terms of struggle and of strife. When life gets hard and that becomes what's front and center, that becomes the focus. I found myself there this week, today, in struggling with the demands of, of my job, of pastoring, of being a, a husband and a father, and all the other random stuff that I have going on. And rather than living with a healthy view of what is before me, I get hyper-focused on the little things that really are not that significant. I get hyper-focused on, on anything other than God, and then now the purpose that God had for each of those things in my life becomes lost. I forget why God is doing or having me do the things that He has me doing. I let stress and struggle overtake my focus, and now instead of focusing on the work that God has before me, I'm focused on the little tasks that are required for that work, but those little tasks become the focus point. I find myself overwhelmed because my focus has shifted to what I haven't done rather than what I have done. The things that are stressing me out are all things that God told me to do. That's what is so interesting about this. You guys know me well and you know that there are not many things in my life, if any, that I do just because I want to. I want to know what God wants for me and I want to pursue those things. So why do I feel overwhelmed? I feel overwhelmed because my focus isn't on what God's called me to be focused on. My focus is on the task and not on Him. I believe something similar is happening in the lives of these church members that this author of Hebrews is writing to. They've left the, let the struggles of their life take over their focus and they've lost touch with the source of their hope. When I was 18 years old, I, I made my debut as a preacher at my home church where I grew up. And I remember really stressing out, imagine that, about the content of this first sermon. You know, you, got, you always want to start on the right foot, right? And so I spent uh, what seemed like months preparing for this sermon. And I had, I had talked with the pastor of the church and kind of got a feel for how they prepare and how they preach and kind of thought I had my mind around it. And then it comes down to the night before I'm going to preach and I am so nervous. Like butterflies in your stomach, like uh, guys, maybe you've experienced this wanting to ask a girl out to the dance and you just can't muster the nerves, right? That's how I felt right before I was going to preach. And here's the irony. Just before I delivered this sermon, like 10 minutes before, I'm rereading through the sermon to get it in me one last time to make sure that I'm ready. And it dawned on me that I had tried to do this whole thing on my own and listen to the to the verse that I was preaching on. Psalm 121, 1 through 2. I lift my eyes towards the mountains. Where will my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. I was so focused on what I was doing that I was missing the point of the passage that I was preaching. And here I found myself again today, preaching on peace and not feeling it myself. Church, I know that I am not alone in that struggle. I knew in that moment that God had called me to ministry, but instead of keeping my eyes on Him, I put them on myself. I put them on what I felt I could not do, on my own inferiority. God is working in the lives of the churches in this letter that He's writing to. And along the way, at some point, they lose sight of what God is doing in their lives. They lost sight of the fact that Jesus was the very one 
that the people that have disowned them were waiting for. And they had experienced that themselves. We know that because Scripture says that when we believe in Jesus, what comes and lives inside of us? The Holy Spirit. There was a tangible thing that happened that made them a new creation. Jesus was this long-awaited Messiah and had been revealed to them by the Holy Spirit. And they knew this at their conversion. That's what is so interesting. Because our struggle is the same as theirs. They knew at their conversion that Jesus was the Son of God. Otherwise, they would not have converted. And here they are some time later, and the struggles and the strife of life have somehow blinded them to what they know. So the author reminds them of what they've already endured and accomplished in order to help them to remember what is possible when they're obeying through the power of the Holy Spirit. Look at verses 33 and 34 with me again in Hebrews chapter 10. It says, Sometimes you were publicly exposed to taunts and afflictions, and at other times you were companions of those who were treated that way. For you sympathized with the prisoners and accepted with joy the confiscation of your possessions because you know that you yourselves have a better and enduring possession. This weariness that they were experiencing is not new. Not to them, nor to us. It has been there from the beginning. But over time, that burden became heavy. Point number two today is that we need to be reminded that God's goodness is greater than our afflictions. In the reading of this passage this week and thinking about it, I was reminded of a book that I read recently. And I hate that Leah is not here to hear this, but uh, many of you have heard David and Leah talk about The Hiding Place. And I did not know that that was actually a book, a story of someone's life. I thought it was a play that a friend of theirs wrote. If you've never read the book, The Hiding Place, I highly encourage you to do so. Leah and I were having a conversation about it a few weeks ago, and she's like, oh, Will, it's amazing. You've got to read this book. And so I did. And it's a story of this lady named Corrie Ten Boom and her family who lived near Germany during World War II, during the occupation that Germany had over their country. She and her family, in response to the persecution of the Jewish people, opened their home. They literally built a hiding place in their house where the, the people that were, that were being put into concentration camps, the Jewish people, could come and hide in their home, putting themselves and their family and their livelihood at risk for the sake of other people. Corey and her sister and father all ended up in a concentration camp as a result of them hiding Jewish people. And even, uh, in fact, her sister uh, and her father both died in those camps. But Corey survived and she spent the rest of her life ministering those who endured what she had done, what she had endured, and even worse. Her life's work began, became to tell people about the beauty of who Christ is in the midst of a horrific time. I love in this story that they are in a concentration camp and, and Corey would be the first to tell you that, that she often faltered. She experienced a lot of like what I've experienced today. Of course, hers was a lot worse than mine. But where the struggle becomes what's up front and foremost, but her sister did not. Her sister was able to stay focused on God through that experience. In her book, you're going to see the very real struggle that, that we are discussing today how she's overwhelmed by the horror of what she sees around her. But her sister Betsy was a constant light and always reminded. In fact, I, I found this so interesting. Her sister Betsy 
often talked of after the war, after it was all over, about starting a ministry to minister to the people that they had encountered. And Corey, for a long time, assumed that she meant those that were in the concentration camp, but she meant the people that had captured them. Church, that's the result not of a human heart, not of something that we can muster in ourselves, but of a work of the Holy Spirit who sees things around us that are really, really bad and lets us see in the midst of that the goodness of who God is. That even in the midst of the strife and the struggle, God has not changed. We are not forgotten. The struggle that these believers in the other church were facing were no different than when they had first believed. They were being persecuted when they first believed. They lost their jobs when they first believed. It says in there that they were put in prison, that their possessions were confiscated. It all seemed that it seems that all of their spirit and their resolve had simply faded. And, and I just want to say they cannot be faulted for this. We've not faced nearly as much as they have. But the author of Hebrews is reminding them that they have already successfully endured such suffering. That God is able to do in them what he had previously done before if they would only allow him to do so. As we know and as they know, suffering is not new for God's people. They were not the first group of people to suffer because of their faith. And the author wants to, to, to help them regain their confidence in the ability that God has to sustain his people in the midst of struggle. They and we are called to endure hardships for the sake of making God's goodness known to other people. Another commentary that I read this week said, Christians need to remember that adversity is rarely a vicious enemy. Think about that for a moment. Adversity is rarely a vicious enemy. It is often a valuable ally. It reminds us of the imperishable things which matter most of all. The adversity that we face reminds us of the things of this world are temporary, but God is forever. This relationship that he has created us to be in is more valuable and more important than everything else. Point number three is that we are promised peace and God always keeps his promises. Kids, I don't know if you recognize that or not. That was our whole thing for the kids last, last month. God always keeps his promises. Look at verses 36 and 38. He says, for you need endurance. So that after you have done God's will, you may receive what was promised. For yet in a very little while, the coming one will come and not delay. But my righteous one will live by faith. And if he draws back, I have no pleasure in him. In this section, the author is quoting Habakkuk to remind the church that the peace that they long for has already been promised and will come. Habakkuk begins his ministry with this prayer about the suffering that they were doing. Listen to this. And, and see if this sounds familiar. He says, how long, Lord, must I call for help and you do not listen or cry out about violence and you do not save? Why do you force me to look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Oppression and violence are right in front of me. Strife is ongoing and conflict escalates. God's people were suffering and Habakkuk is calling out on their behalf to the Lord. And saying, God, how long we must we endure this? What you'll notice is that the things that Habakkuk is crying about have not changed. The specific group that this is happening to that's being oppressed may be different. But those same things that they were struggling with remain. 
They were the same things that the Hebrew people were facing when this letter is written. And they were the same things that we face today. Wrongdoing, oppression, violence, strife, and conflict plague our community. They plague our city, our state, our country, and our world. These struggles are not new. The desire for peace still exists as much today as it did when Habakkuk wrote these words. We see this common theme over and over and over again throughout Scripture, and it's the result of a fallen world. That our hearts long for peace because that is what we were created for. We don't just long for peace because we don't like stress. We long for peace because that is what God created us to exist in. We were not made to be like this, to experience these things. In coming to the world, Jesus has begun the process that is promised to Israel. God is bringing peace, and even though it's not coming as fast as we may like it, peace is coming. In celebrating Christmas, what an incredible opportunity we have to share with one another and with the world around us that the Prince of Peace is coming. We celebrate Jesus' birth at Christmas. We celebrate His life, His death, and resurrection throughout the year. And today, we get to celebrate the promise of peace. God told His people long ago that there would come a day when Jesus would return again. Look at Revelation 21, verses 3-4. through It says, Then I heard a loud voice from the throne. Look, God's dwelling is with humanity. And He will live with them. They will be His people. And God Himself will be with them and will be their God. And He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Grief, crying, and pain will be no more because the previous things have passed away. The peace that our hearts long for is coming. The last point I want to make today is that we are a people of faith. And I'm saying that way in a very particular saying it that way for a reason. Look at verse 39 in Hebrews chapter 10. He says, "But we are not those who draw back and destroy." but those who have faith and are saved. Church, you are here today because you are a people of faith. The author ends this exhortation with a bold statement about who they are. They are people of faith that has been shown as they endured for the sake of their faith. The author of Hebrews knows them and he knows this to be true. In his encouragement, he reminds the church of who they really are. That they are not just a people of struggle, but they are a people of faith. They are children of God who believe that Jesus was God's Son and the Savior of the world. We share that in common with the people that this letter was written to. Our hope, because of what we have experienced as we abide in Christ, has blossomed into faith. If you're struggling today with your faith because of what you're currently experiencing, I want you to know that you are not alone in that struggle. That there have been many before you. There may be some here today who experience that same struggle. And just like the early church, we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us. And He is reminding us of who we are. That we are not just a struggle. We are not just a ball of stress. But we are children of God. We are heirs in the kingdom. When we face persecution, oppression, wrongdoing, injustice conflict, we can rest assured that God is good and He will sustain us through it. 
God has given you and I this body of believers to walk with us, to encourage us, to help remind us of all that God has already done and all the things that He will do on our behalf. When we're struggling, we can remember not only that God has, what God has done in our own lives, but also what He's done in the lives of our fellow believers. And here's, here's what's real fun, guys, is that when God sustains one of us, He sustains all of us. That's why we open this mic up every week. It's for us to hear the stories of what God is doing in the lives of our people. That's why we talk about those things at Life Group. Because when God works in one person's life, it encourages us all. His work is a testimony to all people of His goodness and of His faithfulness. Today we can all rejoice together and and hope and have faith that the peace that was promised is on its way. God has sent His Son just as He said He would. Jesus fulfilled the law through His obedience to God. And Jesus has gone before us, when we talked about this a couple of weeks, and He has opened the veil so that we can walk directly into the presence of God with boldness. We are no longer separated from our Heavenly Father. We've been invited into God's presence to enjoy not just the idea of peace, but to find peace right where we are. In the midst of our struggle, Jesus brings peace. In the midst of our sin, Jesus brings peace. And one day, He will return and our struggles will be no more. Sin will be wiped from the earth. And no longer will we have to hope for peace and have faith in peace in the midst of a struggle. Peace will be here and the struggle will not. He'll wipe away all sin and separation from the earth because He is the Prince of Peace. And it's in His presence and in His promise that we find everlasting peace. It's my hope and my prayer for us today, church, that as we move further into a busy holiday season, that our focus wouldn't be simply our schedules and our agendas and our to-do list, but our focus could be on the Prince of Peace and finding our peace in Him right where we are. Let's pray. Father, I'm so thankful for your consistency, for your promise to bring peace to where we are. Father, I lift up my church, myself. Father, I ask that as we move forward into this week, that you would be our focus. That when life gets hard, when stress builds up, when things are in front of us that we don't know how to deal with, that Father, our first move would be to turn to you. Father, as we continue to worship this morning, Lord, I ask that your spirit would be near to each of us. If there are those in the room who are struggling with with stress or, or whatever it might be, Father, I pray that in this moment that you would draw their hearts near to yours, Father, and they would experience your peace right now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.